Good morning. Very good to be with you this morning. Uh, Alex, thank you. I, have, uh, I continue to enjoy this series. I hope you do too. Um, the, the passages that come to me, as I, I've said in the past, aren't always the passages that I would necessarily uh, pick of my own accord, uh, which is actually a wonderful thing, in my opinion, because it speaks to the, the breadth and the depth of this congregation, of what lies on your hearts. Um, and so if I can uh, bring uh, your wisdom uh, into this room, into our worship, uh, I, I, I think that uh, is going to go a lot farther than uh, whatever wisdom I can channel uh, just myself alone here. Uh, let's begin, though, with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we ask that you uh, present yourself to us. We come seeking your wisdom, not the wisdom of the world, and we ask that you reveal it clearly. It's just that simple. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, If there's one thought I want to leave you with today, I want to start and end with, uh, it's simply this, it's that God's wisdom leads to your peace and your righteousness. God's wisdom leads to your peace and your righteousness. The passage that we're dealing with today from James uh, chapter 3, I think the umbrella of it all uh, is the topic of wisdom. And uh, James, as we'll see, uh, really pieces this out in two distinct ways. There's what he calls earthly wisdom, and then he calls it wisdom from above, or if you have the NIV, uh, heavenly wisdom is how they translate it. Uh, So there's earthly wisdom, and there's the wisdom from above. Now, interestingly, and uh, Beth caught on to this rightly, uh, that uh, we often think of wisdom as something happening up here, right? If somebody goes to school long enough, and uh, I think I qualify as somebody who's gone to school way too long, uh, then you have wisdom. And I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning, that's not actually how it works, okay? I think there is a place for schooling and for uh, the mind in wisdom. I, I actually think there's, I place a high priority on this. It's just, it's just one piece, though. And Beth pointed out another piece, which happens to be our, our actions, James spends the first uh, large chunk of this whole chapter uh, talking about our words, the things we say, right? Uh, Ultimately, I think, though, he's he's really getting at what's down in our heart. Um, James uses the word wisdom a little differently uh, even than that, though, Uh, and, and in a way that might confuse you some, Um, And so just to add just a little bit of clarity, what I think he's uh, offering to us uh, is uh, wisdom in the sense, it's almost like a personified wisdom, like you find, you know, in the book of Proverbs, uh, wisdom gets personified, it becomes a person, a woman, in fact, uh, who uh, you are supposed to chase after, right? Uh, Well, in much the same way, wisdom is... uh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. This got mentioned as well. Uh, And uh, he contrasts the fruit of the Spirit and living with the Spirit versus living with the flesh. 
this is kind of what uh, James is doing for us today. He's, he's talking about wisdom that is from above. It's, it's almost like this uh, wisdom that God uh, grants to us, almost like a, a personified spirit that is given to us versus an earthly wisdom, living, as Paul would say, in the flesh, living according to earthly standards, pursuing earthly ends. The goal of all of this, as I've said, and, and the important part that we, we can't lose uh, track of is, is what James is getting at, what Jesus most certainly was getting at, Paul was getting at, the whole New Testament, and, and I would say even the Old Testament is getting at, is what we're really after is not a change in your head, that's important too. It's not even a change in your words, that's important too. It was really a change in your heart. And the things that we do in this life, James will say, and the things that we say, they become a window into what's really happening down inside of you. And so while you can't see your heart, your words give you a window into it, your actions give you a window into it. Jesus said as much in Matthew 12, 34, famous passage, you might know it, out of the overflow of the heart, right, the mouth speaks. This is what Jesus says. James, his brother, uh, took note, (laughs) and he too is saying much the same thing. He's saying, if we take a look at our words, and I'm not talking the scripted words that I'm even speaking to you right now. I've scripted this, right? I'm, I'm very, I, I try to be uh, precise with the words that, I'm talking about the words you speak in an offhanded moment. Who you are kind of in, in general, in public, or maybe in private, actually. What's coming out of your mouth in those moments. That becomes a window into your heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so in James uh, chapter 3, our chapter for today, he begins uh, by talking about, uh, at length, the tongue and the taming of the tongue, right? He even says uh, every preacher's uh, least uh, favorite verse right up front which is, not many of you should become teachers, which is, not many of you should become people who use your mouth, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Before I was ever a preacher, I said this to my uncle, who was a preacher, uh, once, and he did not appreciate my pointing this out to him. Uh, It was actually a very funny encounter. And uh, I understand why. The idea of being judged uh, with with greater strictness, um, well, that's not fun, but uh, it is right. And I think what James will then later get at is that uh, your words aren't enough. He's going to say, and the part that we're going to read for today, is that your actions, really, that's, that's the true window into your soul, and into your heart. And so in these opening passages, though, or in these opening verses, rather, he he talks about the tongue and the importance of your words, and and, and he talks about the need to bridle your tongue, right, to to have a hold on it, and if you can get a hold on the sort of things you say, 
well, then you, you, you might be able to get control of the rest of your body and soul. And he says things like, my, probably my favorite uh, verse from this whole opening bit here is in verse 9. And he says, with it, that is with our tongues and our mouths, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. With our tongues, we bless God on the one hand, and we curse people who are made in God's image with the same tongue. And then he says, in case you're confused, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers, these things ought not to be, right? These these things aren't to be. This is not how you're supposed to speak. This is not what's supposed to be coming out of your mouth on a routine sort of basis. And when it does, James would say, it's a window into what's really happening inside here. Um, Do you know what soap tastes like? Uh, oh, some kids in here do. That's, that's interesting. See, I thought uh, the practice was... I tasted soap once in my life when I was a kid. Uh, my dad uh, always threatened to wash my mouth out with soap, right? Uh, if I said X, Y, or Z. And one time, he, he made good on that promise. And that was kind of all I needed. Like, that, that one time was it. And I, I learned my lesson. But you never forget the taste of the soap, Right? And why would my dad do that? Why, like, why is this important? Well, for all the reasons we've been saying, the thing, learning to tame your tongue tells you a lot about whether or not your heart has been tamed. And so my dad was encouraging me in this moment to actually tame not just the things I say, but the things that are going on within me. But James, let's get to the passage for today. James 3.13 goes on. It's not just your words that get you uh, to what your heart is, is, is doing. Uh, it's, he wants to say it's your actions as well. And so if you'll turn with me to James chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 13. It goes like this. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? And I think it's a real question. He's asking, who is wise? Like, what does that look like? And he says, by his good conduct, and there it is, right? By what you do, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Man, there's a lot here. Uh, James, I love James. James uh, becomes, uh, I think, every Protestant needs to embrace the book of James as a kind of a counter to maybe... Uh, an error we could all fall into uh, with Paul. So if Paul is focusing us heavily on faith and for good reason, James comes along to kind of just knock on the door and remind us, hey, faith is great and good and necessary and really important, but as he says in 2.14, just kind of the chapter before, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but he does not have works, right? Faith without works is dead, is what James says. And so James comes along and he reminds us that our conduct, what we do, matters tremendously. 
And in fact, I think the way he would put it, and I'm certain Paul would agree, is that what you do isn't just about you doing the right things. I'm not trying to be up here this morning uh, like uh, beating you over the stick with some morality stick and saying, you've got to be the right person. That's not the goal. It's that the, the works that we do in this life end up being a, a window into what's really happening inside here. And so if that's the case, then it's worth looking at your you know, day-to-day, week-to-week life and asking What's going on in here, right? And so he says, by his good conduct, let him show his works. And then he says, in the meekness of wisdom. And he tosses this word meek out there, right? And um, (laughs) I don't know why I remember this one, but I remember this one from my childhood and my pastor talking about meekness. And I, and I thought it was important back then, and I still think it's important to this day, because the word meek sounds like weak, right? But it's anything but, okay? Meekness is not weakness. In fact, my pastor, the way he told it, and I think he's right, is that meekness is, is like that big, strong horse right, who's capable of doing really big, strong things, who happens to be tamed and is wearing that bridle in the mouth and has an owner that knows how to use that strength well. And that's what meekness is. Meekness is a a recognition of what my own strengths are but the refusal to use them at the wrong or inappropriate times. That's what meekness is. I could use my power for evil, but I'm not going to, right? And so knowing when to use your strength and when to hold back is what meekness is. And oftentimes especially in the world we live in, uh, and as we're going to talk about uh, when it regards peace, we live in this war-crazed world where everybody's yelling at each other, and meekness in this moment isn't to rise to the occasion and, and start shouting at everybody else just like everybody. It's actually to pull back and to know when to insert the power that you have and the gifts that you've been given and the humility of Wisdom, right? He goes on. He says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, even demonic, he says. For where jealousy is, and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So here he's jumped into the one side of the ledger, and that is there is an earthly wisdom out there that you can pursue, and it leads to certain ends. And he names some of the earthly wisdom He says, if it looks like any of the following, then you can spot it as earthly wisdom. 
And he says things like jealousy or selfish ambition. If those are sitting in your heart, well, then you know what? Well, this is an earthly wisdom. He says, do not boast if that's happening. And don't be false with the truth if you're lying. Well, then we know that this is an earthly wisdom. If I could pause for a second, the earthly wisdom sometimes actually works in the world. I don't want to, like, tell you otherwise. It works in a certain way, anyway. It gets you to certain ends. And if you want to work the systems of the world and find a certain kind of success in life, the earthly wisdom's probably going to get you there. If your goal in life is things like money and power and fame, right? If, if your goals in life are, are one aim, earthly wisdom is designed to get you to those things. If we've learned anything over the last number of years here, it's that lying sometimes works. Now, in the end, it doesn't work. Let me just be very clear about that, too, right? Truth always finds a way. But in the short term, lying can work toward earthly ends. And you have to ask yourself, what are your ends? What are you aiming at? What is your version of success? Because I assure you, if you're aiming at the wrong version of success, you're going to get the wrong version of success as your result, right? And so James is saying, this all is, is earthly wisdom. He says, jealousy, selfish ambition. I mean, like, just stop and think about those two right there. Jealousy, right? Jealousy. Why jealousy? Because it's aimed at what? It's when somebody does something that is good, and rather than you rejoicing in the goodness of that thing, you somehow turn it back to yourself, right? And you say, man, I wish, wish I had that, <laughs> or I wish I could do that thing. Oh, that person's really good at the guitar. Dave is great at the guitar. I wish I could play the guitar like Dave does. Man, and I turn it on myself, right? But that's called jealousy. Rather than simply saying, I uh, praise God for the great guitar playing that I see Dave do up here, uh, and I think it's wonderful that he has practiced as much as he has and is capable of doing that thing. Praise God, right? Or selfish ambition. Selfish ambition, by the way, will go a long way in getting you earthly success. Selfish ambition, this is how you get there, okay? You keep pointing to self, and over time, it works, and you, you get to the place you want to get to. This is not the place you should get to, but it's the place you, you're trying to get to, right? It's that earthly success. And so selfish ambition, once again, is taking everything and it's turning it back to self. 
The Bible teaches us otherwise. We all know this, right? We know that we're supposed to not point us back to ourselves. We're supposed to what? We're supposed to pick up our crosses. We're supposed to uh, lay down our lives for the other. We're supposed to turn ourselves outward and see the ways in which we can love God and love our neighbor, right? We know that this is what we're supposed to do. Selfish ambition teaches us otherwise. And then he says this in verse 16, where there is jealousy and where selfish ambition exists, he says there will be disorder and there will be every vile practice. I'll come back to these two things when we flip the script and we turn about this godly wisdom, but know this much, disorder, that is where all of this leads, right? And disorder in a kind of specific sort of way. Disorder is the opposite of peace, by the way. If peace is unity and wholeness, which it is, then disorder is pulling things apart. It's the chaos that God is trying to restore us from. And every vile practice is the opposite of the other peace. It's the righteousness peace. So we're going for peace, or well, God is anyway, going for peace and righteousness. And the earthly wisdom gets us to disorder and vile practices. Right? Gets us to the flip side of all that. Verse 17. So we've talked at length about what the wisdom from the earth teaches us, what it looks like, the result of it all is disorder and every vile practice. But now we need to get to that other side because what we really want, remember, is God's wisdom coming through us, leading us to a place of peace and righteousness. This is what we want in life. I assure you it's what you want. But you have to want it. You have to want it. And so here's what he says in verse But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, and gentle, and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. We'll take each of these just bit by bit here for a second, not too long, but over the course of this last week, uh, I quite enjoyed this list, and I'm grateful to, for, to Alex for, for kind of putting this on my doorstep and, and forcing me to go through this. I'm grateful for it because I rely really heavily, if you haven't noticed, on the fruit of the Spirit as a guiding principle for, I think, how we should all live life, right? Paul tells us very clearly, here's, here's what the flesh looks like, and here's what the fruit of the Spirit look like. And live that way. And I, I will still do that. In a way, this list right here is kind of Fruit of the Spirit 2.0. It's another list for you to, to ask yourself, is this who I am? Does this reflect me, Eric Gilchrist? Does it reflect you? And so just put your name in here a second, whatever that is, and ask yourself. The wisdom from above is first, is Eric or you, don't, actually, don't do this for me. You do this for you. Pure, because right there, I lost it. 
pure, peaceable, a peaceable person, gentle, gentle. Are you open to reason? One translation is willing to be persuaded. I like that. Are you willing to be persuaded if you're wrong? Are you open to the possibility that you're wrong and willing to be persuaded? Full of mercy. That one's coming next. Yeah. Oh, submissive. Yeah, don't go that one. That's actually, no, in all seriousness, that uh, is a strange translation of this word. Uh, and it kind of gets you in this weird direction. That's, I, I think it's, it's more about our, our openness to, uh, to being uh, persuaded by somebody else who is, is right. Submission gets you into this other category of, well, we'll, we'll say that. Full of mercy. Are you full of mercy and good fruit? Or fruit that is good might be another way to translate this, right? Is the fruit of your life goodness? Impartial. You don't play favorites. And sincere. Now this whole passage, Alex said it to me, uh, and I had noticed it myself as well, uh, is actually very similar, again, if we look to Jesus' own words in Matthew 5, I'll, I'll read them to you, uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus hits on a lot of the topics that are being talked about in this short passage, okay? Once again, Jesus' brother, so maybe his brother James is taking notes as Jesus is, is out there preaching, and so Jesus says things like, Blessed are the meek. We came across that one already. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We'll come across this in the last verse together. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. That came up here. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. James mentions this one as well. Are you pure in heart? For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Are you a peacemaker? When I think about this list, I cannot help but contrast it with what is happening in the world today, right? When uh, we read that this is wisdom from above and not earthly wisdom, that rings true for me because this list sounds very countercultural to what I'm seeing in the world at large. I don't see a lot of purity, I don't see a lot of peaceableness, gentleness. I don't see many people who are open to reason, who are full of mercy. I think that one's been lost almost entirely. People with good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Like, the whole list sounds like, uh, like it's from a different day and age, maybe because it was, but it also sounds incredibly countercultural. And if we were to live this list out, what would that look like to other people? 
And we, when I say we, I mean you, the individual, we, the church, uh, South Run Baptist Church, and we, the church worldwide, could we reclaim some of the ground we've lost? He goes on to say that this is what uh, the wisdom from above looks like, this list here. And he says, essentially, and if you live, if your life live, is lived according to this list, then the following will take place. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Right? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's actually a few ways this can be translated and understood, but the two key words here are, are peace and righteousness with a double helping of peace, right? The word shows up twice, literally. Peace and righteousness. And so peace in this way, where it hinted at, is, um, is not just like everything's okay sort of peace. It's peace as a, a wholeness of living. And on an individual level, what this means is integrity. It means who you are in this place is who you are at school, and who you are in the workplace, and who you are with your neighbors, and who you are anywhere and everywhere. It's the same person. It's wholly integral. It's one. The opposite of this, of course, is not living with integrity, but instead living with duplicity, with multiple parts, and being different people in different places. And then the other half of this is the righteousness, right? And so the opposite of, of righteousness is, of course, unrighteousness. And living with, as he says earlier, uh, all uh, every vile practice, right? And it's worth asking what, I mean, it's such harsh words, we're not used to them, but what vile practices have entered into your life, right? That need to be pulled out. What righteousness needs to be reclaimed? But that's on the individual level, and that's where we usually stop, as our uh, Western individualistic culture likes to stop us. But I think he's also talking at the corporate level, okay, the collective level. What would it mean for us to live at peace? Well, as a church or as a community, as a church worldwide, peace looks like, uh, well, it still looks like wholeness. It looks like uh, us working together. It, it sounds like shalom, right? It's uh, everybody working hand in hand uh, for the betterment of the other. And as we look out for one another, well, everyone ends up getting looked out for. This is what peace looks like. And righteousness, well, what does that look like? Yes, it's part of the evil practices stuff, but this word righteousness is directly connected to another buzzword today, justice. And it means we create a culture that is just, where the right things are happening and the wrong things are not happening. And we're able to encourage one another to be doing the right things in life. And so peace is what all of this is aimed at. A wisdom that comes from above 
creates in us a certain kind of people. It transforms our hearts. And it turns us into people who are capable of peace and righteousness. In my conclusion here, I do want to again make clear one thing. Some preaching can be, um, maybe it can be effective in a scolding sort of way, like, don't do this, right? Uh, We certainly find this in scripture sometimes. But what I actually want to leave you with is not the don't do's, but the when we live a life that reflects the wisdom from above, what does that kind of life produce? What does that kind of life look like? And the one word that comes to mind, and it just kept coming back, is the ability to rest. Uh, Instead of a restlessness, right, which is the nature of our world, there's a a certain restlessness about it all and the the inability to find this place where I can just be myself fully at peace with who I am in God Most of the world spends their time restless trying to find their rest in anything and everything that will produce that. And as Augustine famously begins his confessions, we cannot rest until we rest in God. And that wisdom that comes from above, that is offered to us through the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this This is what we live into, and in it, in this kind of living, we find our rest. We find our shalom, our peace, and part and parcel with that is righteousness. We are going to sing the song, Turn Your Eyes uh, Upon Jesus, in a moment, and uh, there's two things about this. I come back to this frequently. Have you ever noticed this? I hope you do at some point. You see, I think there's, um, I think we've messed some things up over the last hundred years, we'll say, uh, within uh, Protestant circles. And that is, we've put so much emphasis on Jesus' death and resurrection as paying it all, which he did. And there's no way around that, right? But then we fail to recognize what James is here recognizing for us, that we then have a part to play. And so when we turn our eyes to Jesus, our immediate word is thank you, right? It's it's this immediate gratitude for the gift that is the gift from Christ, that is the gospel. And then it should produce in us and through us a certain kind of fruit, a certain kind of wisdom. And Jesus himself shows us the way forward, right? He shows us what that, that road is, how to walk that road, what, 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 the, what the road looks like as we walk resting in God, trusting in God. And so as we turn our eyes to Jesus today, as we sing this song together, I want to encourage you to do some reflection and ask yourself, in what ways 
do I need to turn my heart over and walk more like the peacemaker that Christ is and maybe a little less like the way the world has been teaching me to walk? Let's go to God in prayer first. Heavenly Father, we come and we praise you for the gift of Jesus, your Son. Christ, without you, we are lost. We are incapable of saving ourselves. We are incapable of finding the peace that we all desire. We are incapable of righteousness. Because ultimately, it is not our righteousness. It is your righteousness, Christ. And so we ask today that you send your Holy Spirit. And that the fruit of the Spirit might become evident within our lives in what we say and in the ways we act. And we let those be a window into what has happened to our hearts and what continues to happen in the sanctification of our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.